630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad. He'll hit Corey Watson with it. He'll sidestep one tackler and gets to the 20. Corey Watson inside the 10. Touchdown, Eskimo! Edmonton's home for breaking news on your favorite teams. This is Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on the voice of your Edmonton Oilers and Eskimos. 6.30 Chad. Taylor Hall now with 38 goals and 90 points. He and the New Jersey Devils lead the New York Rangers 3-1 early in the second period. The Devils clinch a playoff spot with a win and a regulation loss by the Florida Panthers. The Panthers in a scoreless tie with the Predators with six and a half minutes left in the first period. Also, Flyers and Islanders 1-1. That's early in the second period. Tavares with his 35th for the Islanders. Red Wings surprising the Blue Jackets tonight. Detroit leads 4-1 in the first minute of the second period. In the first, Jets up 1-0 on the Habs. Line A, his 44th. No score with five minutes left in the first between the Bruins and the Lightning. Of course, the Bruins have taken over top spot in the Atlantic Division. Two points up on the Lightning with a game in hand, so the Lightning need the win there if uh, they need, uh, if they want to have their first place hopes staying alive. Coming up later tonight, the Coyotes meet the Flames. The Golden Knights take on the Canucks. Those are the final two opponents of the season for the Edmonton Oilers, and San Jose will host Dallas. The Blue Jays in action. They've won three straight in the bottom of the third. The Jays are up 2-1 on the Chicago White Sox. Toronto Raptors in Cleveland at the half. The Cavs lead at 60-52. Three Game 7s in the Western Hockey League tonight. Prince Albert takes on Moose Jaw. Spokane is at Portland and Vancouver meets Victoria. Thanks a lot for tuning in tonight. It's 6.08. My name is Reed Wilkins. Inside Sports on Oilers and Eskimos Radio, 6.30. Ched, big show coming up tonight. In about an hour, you'll hear from Edmonton's Caitlin Osmond, world figure skating champion, first woman to win Worlds since 1973. She's going to join us from Japan, where she's currently part of the Stars on Ice Tour. Now, I mentioned the final two games for the Oilers. They will play the Vegas Golden Knights on Thursday. That'll be a 5.30 face-off show. Game at 7 here on 6.30, Ched. And then Saturday, it's the Vancouver Canucks. And that'll be a special game, the final game in the National Hockey League for Daniel and Henrik Sedin. What's it like facing the Sedins? Well, pleased to be joined by Steve Steos. He's the former Oilers defenseman, now president and general manager of the Hamilton Bulldogs in the Ontario Hockey League. Steve, welcome back to the show. How are you doing? I'm doing terrific. Good to be back. Yeah, thanks for fitting me in. I know it's a very busy time of year for you and the Hamilton Bulldogs. Why don't we start there? Because uh, I think you guys were third overall. Looked like a pretty uh, convincing uh, first-round victory over the Ottawa 67s. Looks like it's been a pretty good year for the Bulldogs so far. Yeah, it really has. I mean, this is year three for me being back in Hamilton and uh, running the team there. And, uh, you know, we put uh, the process in place and, um, you know, had to rebuild the program a little bit. But we're starting to see some things come to fruition. But more than anything, we have great people. Surrounded myself with some great people and uh, got a great young team. And 
uh, you know, we're looking forward to some big things. There's high expectations from our team. We were first in the East, and, um, you know, it's been a fun ride. It's been fun building this team, so we're excited about moving on to the next round. Tell me a little bit about that process. Uh, obviously, coming over from uh, from Belleville, uh, I, th- I think it was a pretty tough year the first year. I think you only won 25 or 26 games, uh, and then uh, moving up last year, and then, you know, like you mentioned, 93 points first in the East this year. Uh, what, what was involved in the process? What were some key things that you had to stick to and commit to, even if there were some ups and downs along the way? Uh, well, p- patience was one thing for sure. Uh, it, I mean... I was president in year one and then president and general manager after that. But my first year as president was crucial uh, to the process because we had to identify, um, uh, you know, all, all areas of the organization, front office, as well as the hockey team. But let's just speak to the hockey team. And it was a team that was uh, hadn't had any players drafted in the National Hockey League the year before uh, prior to, um, you know, the... The draft record was spotty at best. Not very many prospects coming through, uh, so we had to look at that. Um, we ended up ninth in the East, missed the playoffs in year one, so we made some wholesale changes throughout the organization to uh, position ourselves so where, where we could start to build and, more than anything, develop prospects. I mean, we have young junior hockey players, and their families are entrusting us to put them in a program where they can develop and, and you know maximize their potential, and we were falling short. Uh, in, in my estimation, so we made some changes and, and put it in place where uh, new coaching staff, uh, you know, uh, revamped the scouting staff as well and uh, started to identify more character players to bring in, even as veteran players as well. And uh, That's just sort of part of the process, Reed, but that that was, uh, you know, there, there wasn't really any magic to it. We kind of stuck to kind of what I knew and, and how I uh, played and things that I learned from all my mentors that were general managers at, in the league and how they built things. But um, you know, and and surprisingly enough to us that it happened over two years, where uh, now we're, we're ranked, uh, you know, in the top ten in CHL and uh, have a good team and have a good chance. And uh, so um, it's been a real fun process to be part of. I'm glad you brought that up, some of the the people that have mentored you, because I I wanted to ask that. Were there any specific experiences or, uh, I don't know, I know sometimes guys don't want to, you know, mention names because there could be a a long list, but was there an experience or or somebody's uh, wisdom that, that you really specifically drew on here? It's it's funny you ask that because there's probably uh, I could I could name dozens and dozens of people and also uh, specifically there's hundreds of events that kind of um, shaped me to make these decisions that I'm, I'm making right now and uh, um, I learned I learned a great deal of, uh, when I was with the Oilers and, and being part of the Oilers organization and uh, um, you know a lot of those players are people that were there that have been part of successful programs I mean Kevin Lowe and Craig McTavish and Charlie Huddy I could go down the list but you know to me that was the Oilers were the best part um, of my career from a cultural standpoint and what they were building as far as character and people. And um, I, I've, I've said it before, that the moment I walked in as an Oiler, I, I'd been on a few teams before that. When I put the Oiler jersey on, it really meant something. And I felt an obligation to be part of the community and to, and I was held accountable. Um, you know, to being an oiler, which it's something that we were trying we're trying to do here in Hamilton, where it's different than just being part of another team or a different organization, where you feel pride being um, you know playing for that team and being part of that community. 
Well said. Steve Steos joining us on Inside Sports tonight, former Edmonton Oiler, president and GM of the Hamilton Bulldogs. Steve, we also reached out to you because, you know, you played for the Oilers during uh, most of a decade uh, when two of the best players in the league would have been Daniel and Henrik Sedin, who are going to hang them up on the weekend final game in Edmonton. I know there was that era coming out of the lockout where you'd play Vancouver eight times a year, so that meant, uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, you, you, there's probably no doubt who, who the best two players on the other team were going to be when you went up against the Canucks. I mean, what, just, what do you remember about trying to defend those guys? Uh, well, I mean, to put it lightly, it was a nightmare. Uh, and, and the hardest part about it was, uh, I think, playing against uh, Daniel and Henrik was they weren't the fastest, they weren't the biggest, they weren't the strongest. So you felt that you could always compete and be able to get into them and, you know, uh, make, make like life difficult for them, which um, was quite the opposite due to the fact that their hockey sense was on a different level. And there was two of them. Uh, made it very difficult. You always felt that you're chasing the puck when you're on the ice. You could very. It was very difficult to stall progression in the defensive zone, um, even with their. And I want to say it politely, even with their lack of blazing speed, because they're still very obviously very good skaters. But um, they didn't have the elite ability to separate with their speed. You thought in the neutral zone you'd be able to, you know, be able to step up on them and and uh, again make it difficult for them, but. They just put pucks in areas before you could get there, and uh, they would always get there before you were there, or they're always there. That was the uncanny ability. And there's been players, obviously great players in our league, who have done it as individuals. The fact that there was two of them uh, made it all that more difficult to defend. Right. What can you say? Because they were, I mean, like like I said, if if you were playing the Canucks. You said you got to shut down the Sedins. You got to be hard on them, and, and they were easier said than done. But what can you say about their toughness and their resilience? Because that's not often spoken about. It's often their passing and their skill. But what about the? I mean, I, I would still consider them gritty players, though maybe grittier in a different way than than Ryan Smith would have been gritty, right? Yeah, no doubt. I mean, and that's the thing. Like, you could even when you did get a piece of them, it wouldn't phase them. They were, they were, they weren't intimidated. Um, you know, as much as we try to, and and uh, with with all top players, because they're uh, elite level, you're you're always trying to disrupt their game in somehow, in some regard, whether it's physically or, or trying to take, you know, uh, play them a little bit harder. But uh, they 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 weren't intimidated. They wouldn't fall into that trap. They had this mental toughness that. They would stay even keel in the games, and, uh, and they'd actually rise to the occasion as the games got uh, more important. And uh, um, you know, it was—they're they're unlike any others. I think everybody can agree to that. But um, you know, and respectful. And you, you hear about the way that they talk about their—you uh, know—about how teammates talk about them, and and that's probably even more special than anything of the guys that, that didn't get a chance to play with them. The other thing that is that's incredible no matter who they put on that line and you could talk about all these uh, players that have played with them you know good players or marginal players I mean you know uh, they succeeded like you know you get a guy like Alex Burroughs that plays on the line like that and all of a sudden uh, you know he's a real good player uh, you know if he doesn't get to play with them how does that look but they had the ability to take any player that they put on that line and uh, bring them up with them and, and make them better yeah, well, incredible career. It's pretty special that we're going to get to see their last game right here at Rogers Place on uh, Saturday night. Steve, before I let you go, first of all, all the best, obviously. Uh, when are you guys starting your next round here? 
Uh, we start on Thursday, so we're looking forward to, uh, yeah, we go Thursday, Saturday at home, and then we head to road. But, uh, uh, yeah, it's exciting times here in Hamilton. And, uh, you know, junior hockey's alive and well, and uh, we're having a great time doing it. Right on. Sounds like you're really enjoying it. Steve, thanks for checking in. I know Oilers fans are wishing you all the best. Talk to you again soon. Appreciate it, mate. Thanks. Best to everybody. Right on. That is Steve Steos. Man, well-spoken guy. Great to catch up with him. President GM of the Hamilton Bulldogs talked about how he's built that team up over the last three years. They're looking really good in the Ontario Hockey League, and uh, I love what he said about defending the Sedins. To put it lightly, it was a nightmare. Not the fastest guys, but their vision and their ability to make plays pretty much unparalleled since the turn of the century in the NHL. Inside Sports on 630 Chad, you can always reach out 780-496-0063 you can text 630-630 we had our old friend on the text line, we'll get to that when we get back This is JC Sheriff from your Edmonton Eskimos and you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on 630 Chad All right, just a a quick note here, non-sports related, but I want to let people know this because I had a couple texts about it as well. And the city of Edmonton has just put this out on Twitter. Millwood's Transit Center has been closed while EPS is on scene. Customers in the area are advised to catch the bus at temporary 23rd Ave bus stops. So the Millwood's Transit Center is currently closed with police on scene. So our news department will uh, try to get more details there, but that's what's going on right now. Thanks a lot for tuning in tonight, Inside Sports on Oilers and Eskimos Radio 630. Chad, my name is Reed Wilkins. Pleasure to be talking to you tonight. I want to remind you that some guests on the show get gift certificates to Northern Chicken, Golden Fork winning chicken. Get tickets for the exclusive hockey fan charity dinner to support Winhouse. Only 50 tickets available. Events include a five-course meal and a silent auction. Call 780-756-2239. That's 780-756-2239. Northern Chicken. Golden Fork winning chicken. Golden Fork. Say that ten times really fast. I'm not going to do it. Yeah, no, Do it you. on your own. <laughs> Maybe I'll do it during a commercial. But I'm definitely not doing it while live on the radio. Jeremy from Glendon is back on the text line. Have not heard from Jeremy for a while. He said he was uh, busy working some longer days, so wasn't able to communicate as much. Jeremy, it's good to have you texting in again. Look forward to hearing from you. I be- and I believe Jeremy, does he, I believe Jeremy lives inside the giant pierogi in Glendon. I believe that. It's, it's a functional pierogi. It's not just an ornamental pierogi. You wonder what's there's, inside there, it. There's a couple apartments in there, and Jeremy has one of them. What, Kellen? I'm just, I'm, I'm picturing, like, was it a centennial project back in 67 or something? Or? I'm not, actually, I've never, I can't remember why the pierogi was built. That'll be our off-topic topic tonight. Kellen, you can look up. Okay. Or, I, we must have other people in Glendon. Sure. Like, Glendon's up to about 100,000 people yeah. now, population-wise, I'm sure. Because, because I think the, like, the... <laughs> that didn't even phase Kellen. The, the, <laughs> no, I'm just, I'm just faking because the other... The kind of weird thing we have in Alberta is the Pisanka, the uh, Easter egg out in Vegreville. Well, right? as I learned from living in uh, Lloydminster, there's several uh, large 
not large. There's several unique structures associated right. with towns. Mm-hmm. Well, Mundere, closer to Edmonton, oh, yeah, has the a sausage. sausage. Yeah. St. Paul has a UFO landing pad. That's functional. Uh, that could be... That is functional. That's functional. Elk Point has... Uh, what's his name? Elk Point has a big statue of a wooden man. I think it's something... Peter. Is it Peter Fiddler? If anybody's in the Elk Point area, they'll know. They have a statue of, of Peter Fiddler. I think it is. Uh, Lloyd Minster itself has the big orange border markers. Four right. of those. Yeah. While I was living in Lloyd, they had to repair them. So there were only two up at a time for so a while. So you knew what side of town you were on. Exactly. You always exactly. knew where the border was. Yeah. Yeah. So I, we'll, we'll, we'll have to look up. Maybe that can be a summer project. We'll look up the history of all the uh, all the unique landmarks east of Edmonton between here and Lloyd Minster. So that's your job tonight, Kellen. What is going on? Uh, with the giant pierogi in Glendon. What is the history of it, and how many apartments do they have in there? I am Googling as we speak. That was an interesting conversation with Steve Steos. Good to talk to him. Hamilton Bulldogs doing really well. Start their second round against Niagara on Thursday. And I love what he talked about with the, the Sedins, how he basically said, you know, not fast skaters, but just so good with the puck, so good at knowing where to put the puck, find each other, find their line mate. As he said, the the third member of the line always seemed to be productive regardless of who it was. And there's been so much discussion with with the Oilers' failings this season. Are, are, are they too slow? Did they go too heavy? Yada, yada, yada. I mean, I think that's a worthwhile discussion. I, I wonder how much of this with the Oilers' failing, though, is just that players who were supposed to do certain jobs or in some cases even did those jobs last year uh, haven't done them this year does it I mean does it I, I don't buy this that a team is either fast or heavy a good hockey team should have elements of all those things we'll discuss further when we get back phone lines are open 780-496-0063 inside sports on Chet. This is Ryan Eugene Hopkins from your Edmonton Oilers. You're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio 630 Chad. All right, thanks a lot for tuning in tonight. Here's what's going on in the NHL. Devils up 4-1 on the Rangers. couple more points for Taylor Hall. Taylor Hall, here's my prediction. Taylor Hall is going to win the Hart Trophy because that's what it's like being an Oilers fan. I'm speaking to all of you, obviously, and I'm sorry if that's not. That's, that's just what's going to happen. That's just what happens to oil country. Taylor Hall is going to win the Hart Trophy. Islanders over the Flyers 3-1 late in the second. Also in the second period, Red Wings up 4-2 on the Blue Jackets. Cam Atkinson, both goals for Columbus. After the first, Jets lead the Canadians 2-0. Line A and Ehlers, the goal scorers. No score. Bruins and Lightning start of the second period. And first period just ended in Florida. Panthers up 1-0 on the Predators. Three games to come later on tonight. Cleveland leading the Raptors 79. 69. That's with four minutes left in the third. Bottom of the fourth, Blue Jays lead the White Sox 4-2 as the Blue Jays try to win their fourth in a row. Okay. I, I started talking about something before the break, and I, I think it's an interesting discussion point. And look, I'm not going to sit here and say that I have all the answers, and, and I agree that the Edmonton Oilers as a team are not fast enough. I don't agree that you put the team either in the category of 
and they're either fast or they're heavy. I mean, L.A. had the reputation of winning Stanley Cups as a heavy team. Well, they got some pretty darn skilled players, too. I mean, I think Anze Kopitar can play with a pretty good pace and, and, and make, a, make a lot of good plays. He can also protect the puck and forecheck and, and, and win battles. You would have called the Chicago Blackhawks maybe more of a skill or speed team, but I would think Duncan Keith is can be a pretty uh, nasty, heavy player, as can Seabrook, and Jonathan Taves can check you till the you know you turn the lights out and all that kind of stuff. So I, I think good teams have a mix, a, a, a good mix, and the star players on those teams are are able to do both types of things. And I think for the Oilers, they brought in players with certain skill sets, and whether they're fast or whether they're heavy. They, they haven't performed to what their roles were supposed to be, and they haven't played to their expectations. I mean, I don't think Milan Lucic got 80% slower over the summer. I mean, maybe the league got a little faster, but he was, he was finishing chances last year. He was, he was around the puck. I, I, I don't, I don't, and here's the thing. Um, okay, Wayne Simmons. You know, he's a, he's a Lucic type of player. You know he can play heavy. He can forecheck. He can hit. But he, you know, he's finished. He's finishing his chances, and he traditionally has finished his chances. So, and I'm not suggesting for a minute that the Oilers don't have a lot to correct, or that you know the the general manager hasn't had a good past 12 months. There, to me, there's no doubt about that. But if if you just put faster players on the Oilers, are they better if those fast players can't check? and can't win puck battles and can't finish when they get chances. Pontus Aberg has made the Oilers faster. Are they better because they've added him? No, because I still think he has a limited skill set and he maybe he's still still more potential. We'll see what we'll see what they what they get out of him. Uh, this texter says, uh, interesting take on team makeup. Lots of stories coming out of Jersey that they made a change to speed and could not believe it when Hall was made available for a slow Larson. That's from Drew. Big L says, uh, Reed, fast as opposed to heavy. Well, last night the Predators played with organized pace. They all hustle on loose pucks, rushes, and in their defensive zone. The Oilers had moments as a group and some individual bursts of speed, but it doesn't seem to be a deliberate part of their collective game, or they just can't do it. A lot of work ahead for this organization. That's from the Big L. Trucker Dave says, the Oilers just didn't have it from game number two on. Injuries, sickness, and overall chemistry wasn't there. All we can do is wait for October and hope things are a little more positive to start 18-19. That's from Trucker Dave. Uh, what Tasquin Joe says would be great to know the size and weight of playoff teams. I think you raise a good point in speed versus slow. Yeah, and, and here's, here's the thing, guys. And I think sometimes we get drawn, and I, and I do it too. I'm not excluding myself. Uh, but I think sometimes we, and I use the collective we of people who discuss hockey a lot, we get drawn into, into using certain words, and after a while they lose meaning or, or we forget the meaning. And... A, a heavy player, to me, doesn't have to necessarily be a big player. It can it can be help, but it, to me, if you play heavy on the puck, you you dig for your you dig for the puck when it's in the corner along the boards. You try to get underneath the other guy, and you're strong on uh, when you're on the puck, and it's hard for other players to take it off you. 
And I do think that that was lacking in the Oilers, and that was costing them through much of the decade of darkness. That they didn't have guys who could withstand contact and and wear down another team. I think that's a fact. Now, they, they got guys like that who either have grossly underperformed or perhaps were overestimated in what they could bring. But I do think that was something that was lacking on the team. And if you talk about playing a heavy game, I mean, look, I think Sidney Crosby probably plays one of the heaviest games in the NHL. When you look at how he can take the puck away from guys, he can lift sticks, he can twist under guys and take pucks away, and then how he can protect the puck with that wide stance, the big hips, the puck possession once he has it. So I, I, I guess I guess really what I'm saying here, and, and I'm, again, I'm not, I don't, I'm not, I know I'm not solving any problems here for for those of you that are frustrated by the Oilers' season, but. If I, I think if we just say, okay, the Oilers need to get three faster players, I say to you, well, big deal if they can't if they can never win a puck battle, or if they can win a race to the puck and then they can't keep it, or or they don't have or they don't have the skill to do anything with it once they have it. I mean, Pontus Aberg has got to some pucks, and I, I, I don't want to pick just on him because it's been a pretty bad team performance, especially lately. But just to him as an example, Pontus Aberg was acquired because he's fast. How many plays have died with Pontus Aberg once the puck is on his stick? Far too many for him to be in the top six next year, I think. Milan Luch, that was interesting about Milan Lucic. He was that very unique combination of aggression, of heaviness, and still usually be able to score around 20 goals a year. Now, it's completely dropped off for him. I don't know what's going to happen next year with Milan Lucic. I, I, I really don't. If, if I, I can't sit here and say he's done as a hockey player because he's, he's still a relatively young man to be completely done as a hockey player. And, and, I, and I always, always think that aggression and physical contact and intimidation will be a part of hockey. I, I, I hope it is. I, I really hope it is. Whether, whether that means there's fighting or, or 10 bell body checks or not, I don't know. But still, so much of hockey is going to be, all right, there's a puck available against the boards. A guy from Team A and a guy from Team B are both three strides away from it. Who's going to get it? All right, in today's NHL, you'd say, I want the faster guy to go get it. And I say, that's fine. What else can he do with it? So I I just feel lately, and you can tell me if you think I'm full of it, because I often am. But I I think there's, it's become a little too black and white in some of the analysis where it's either you got speed or you got heaviness. Because LA and Chicago passed the... Stanley Cup back and forth there over a four-year span, and one team would have been described as heavy, and one team would have been des- described more as fast. So then, what's the trend? I mean, there there can't be a trend if if they were going back and forth like that. So just some thoughts on that. You can text six thirty six thirty. The phone number seven eight zero four nine six zero zero six three. The Edmonton Eskimos announcing their coaching staff for twenty eighteen. The head man, Jason Moss, is up next.
this is Mike Riley from your Edmonton Eskimos, and you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on 630 Chet. All right, well, Mike Riley's coach, Jason Moss, coming up in a couple of minutes here on Inside Sports. Between 7 and 7.30, she'll join us from Japan, world figure skating champ, Edmontonian Caitlin Osmond. That'll be fun to talk to her. And uh, from the Swift Current Broncos, Giorgio Estefan, grad of the Southside Athletic Club, Plays for the Swift Current Broncos. Big win in Game 7 last night over the Regina Pats. Been a really thrilling first round in the Western Hockey League playoffs. couple of texts to uh, catch up to here. Bam says, hey, Reed, Kajula and Slepeshev were playing heavy, but they fell off a cliff. Uh, well, Bam, Kajula, you know, he can get in there and dig. I, I, I you know... Physics still comes down to it sometimes, and sometimes the smaller man is going to have a hard time playing a heavy game. But Kajula has had some good nights where he's tried to engage and check. Um, I got to say, Bam, I'm still not, I, I don't know what the Oilers have in Slepeshev. I, I, I'm not sure he's an NHLer because I know there's been some good games, but there's far too many spells where, where you don't see it. And I know a lot of people disagree with me, but I was hoping to see more from Slep this season. Uh, I don't feel like I've seen it. Uh, this texture says, uh, the, uh, read the Oilers are in trouble next year. Defense, wingers, goaltending, big concerns. They have no cap space to address any of them. They won't have a ton of cap space, you're right. That's probably a, a topic more from next week when we're going to do the full post-mortem. I'm sure Shirelli and McClellan will speak. Uh, you know, I think they, they're going to count on some guys to bounce back. I would think Secre, Clefbaum, and Talbot leading the way. So that there's, I think they're going to hope to internally address some of those problems. There's always going to be some hoping involved when you're coming off a team like this. Uh, the Fizzler says, Reed, I think you are right on the money. Words like fast and heavy are really overused in the era, in the era of salary cap teams. You need the top paid guys to produce, and they need good value contracts. I think the Oilers are in big trouble next year, but as Bob will tell you, I'm frequently wrong. LOL. That is from the Fizzler who occasionally texts inside sports, usually makes me laugh, so I appreciate when he does. And Southside Rob says, uh, Hey, Reed, like Steve Steo said in his interview with you, the Sedins were not the fastest, strongest, or most powerful, but they had amongst the highest hockey IQs on the planet. Those are the players you draft and trade for to win, in my humble Opinion. That is from Southside Rob. Okay, uh, more text later if they keep rolling into 630-630. I am pleased to welcome to the show the head coach of your Edmonton Eskimos, Jason Moss. Jason, welcome back to the show. How are you doing? Doing great. Thanks. Yeah, season's coming up here. Obviously, you guys made the uh, announcement with the coaching staff today. Uh, you know, I, I know there obviously are some changes. There always will be, but uh, it, it strikes me that there's tons of continuity, maybe more than you would usually get on a coaching staff uh, going into your third year as head coach, Jason. Yeah, I mean, I, I think so. I mean, looking around and being around football um, most of my entire life, uh, to keep the entire staff together for two years is is not normal, uh, and let alone going to the third and, and having minor changes um, is, is quite different. Uh, but it's something I strive for when I first got hired. I mean, I was very concerted with how I did the hiring at the beginning. I tried to hire good guys that would be, you know, with me in my mind for a while. Um, obviously always hoping that they, they grow and they they branch out and 
they get promoted and things like that. But it's important to me to have the same guys around. Uh, I, I put a lot of stock into to knowing our guys and, and enjoying being around them and hiring the right kind of people. And I'm very thankful and grateful for the type of staff that I've put together, that we've put together here in Edmonton. How, how does it affect the preparation for the season and what you want to accomplish in camp and your approach to getting the guys ready for the season? How, how does the, the familiarity, the continuity with the coaching staff uh, affect that, all the, all the little things and details you got to deal with going into a new year? Well, I think it's huge. I think when your players can come into to the first day of training camp and all of them pretty pretty much feel like they can come into the room and start talking the right language and and understanding your concepts right off the bat I think you're already ahead of the game so for us going into our third year I mean things change year to year you always get better I don't think anyone stays the same I mean you always look for ways to improve so you change terminology or change certain things but I feel like we've been a a really good football team the last two years um, and we've kept the same guys together so you know it's more fine-tuning some things and changing little little different nuances here and there but I think that's the biggest thing you see is our players come back playing at a faster speed to start a training camp and I think ultimately that uh, propels itself into winning games early uh, is what your hope is uh, you know because I feel like we've got great players here so it's about making them feel comfortable right off the bat and I think anytime you have a staff that stays together and you're able to do that at a quicker pace. I want to ask you about one of the new guys specifically because uh, he's got a pretty impressive resume. Your wide receivers coach, DJ McCarthy, uh, and a resume going back to as a player with the the University of Washington in the early 90s, won a national title, uh, helped uh, Louisiana State win a national title as a coach. He's stepping in as as your receivers coach. And, uh, I mean, I could do a whole show just listing off his, his resume and some of the things he's done. But tell us a little bit about getting DJ to come to Edmonton. Well, I think DJ started a few years ago. Um, one of the, you know, my first hires after uh, getting the coordinators together was trying to get uh, Carson Walsh here. And um, in the midst of that, I interviewed DJ McCarthy. Um, you know, Benny had interviewed him uh, previous to that in BC, and I know Marcus Brady had interviewed them, interviewed him with Scott Milanovic in Toronto. Um, so there was familiarity with DJ. Uh, just didn't quite work out um, him landing up in the CFL. So after interviewing him and uh, I went with uh, Carson for different reasons. Um, I always I knew of DJ. And DJ kept in contact with me uh, over the course of the last couple of years, and you know I had him come to a. Um, a uh, camp that we had down in Vero Beach, Florida. So there's familiarity there. And then uh, Maurice Mann, I brought up. He was a receiver that I coached and played with up in the CFL. And he had been coached by DJ in college at Nevada. So I had a whole bunch of people vouching for DJ. And obviously, like you said, his resume speaks for itself. He's worked all over with different great offensive minds and great teams. And he's won championships every stop he's been at, um, at every, every level as a player, as a coach. Um, so there's a winning uh, culture to him. Um, and he's He's a great guy. He's got a big family, um, great family, and you know I, I think um, you know our receivers are, are going to learn a lot from him. I think we're going to learn a lot as a staff and being around him. I think he's got a lot to provide us. But it was a it was a uh, something that started a couple years ago, but then obviously the opportunity arose this year, and it wasn't a hard hire. 
Eskimos head coach Jason Moss joining us tonight on Inside Sports. And, of course, you can get uh, more on the Eskimos coaching staff on 630Ched.com. Jason, just looking ahead here, you know, I know you're getting ready for camp. And some of the the moves I think people remember uh, from the offseason are a couple of players Eskimos fans said goodbye to. Odell Willis moves along. Darius Bowman moves along. Uh, Guys who were popular in the community, uh, seen as leaders on the team. And, you know, there's always change like that. How, how do you look at, I guess, sort of with their absence, you know, is, are there guys ready to step up to fill the leadership void? Or, or are you maybe going to wait and see which of the younger guys now kind of grab the bull by the horns a little bit more? Or, or how do you look at the, the leadership that is left and, and what's there to replace it? Well, I think anytime you let guys go that have been productive on a team, let alone in Edmonton where, uh, you know, football people are passionate about football and you got two guys that have been huge in the community and huge fan uh, people that people, uh, fans love and adore, anytime you move on from them, it's never easy. Um, as far as how the team moves on, I mean, obviously, hopefully, you know, we think that we make the right decisions in moving on and finding their replacements. And I think, you know, we decide to go younger with the DN and, you know, bringing a guy like Alex Bazian who's had experience in our league. We feel like he can fill that void and fill that leadership role if need be. Uh, getting J.C. Sherrod back on defense obviously helps us in the leadership department, you know, uh, fill in that role that Odell left. Um, as far as Adarius on the offensive side, you know, that's one of those where you just hope that our younger guys who we did have to play with a ton of guys uh, at the receiver position, younger, you know, do step up and prove themselves. But getting a Darrell Walker back later in the year, you hope with his leadership uh, capabilities, it, it, it'll be something that he can step up and and take a place. You know, we got Nate Bahar ready to step up for a Corey Watson in, in, in that role. So every time a guy or a legend moves on, you hope your club's able to replace them at some point. Um, and hopefully for us, you know, it's sooner rather than later. Um, but I feel like our strength and our leadership on our team is very strong um, with the guys we have coming along. Jason, you've, you and I have done this before, so you know sometimes I have the tendency to get ahead of myself, but I am going to ask you about one position group on your team, and you can tell me if I'm getting ahead of myself. Uh, offensive line, uh, I was jotted down today. I think there might be a tackle spot uh, available, and I know going into camp, you're going to, you know, if somebody emerges, they're going to get the job, but uh, is that sort of, is one of the tackle spots maybe a question mark that people are going to be looking at going into camp? And I guess as a follow-up, um, would you have two uh, American tackles likely again? Well, I mean, uh, yes, that is a spot that we went from having four starters basically on your roster this time last year to now one. Um, that's an American, I should say. Um, you know, we do have guys on our roster at Canadian that have played the tackle position in Ruby and O'Donnell. So if we had a start tomorrow, you know, that might be where we play four Canadians on our O-line with uh, Matt or Ruby probably possibly starting for us. Um, you know, we are scouting hard and trying to find the next tackle American that can come in and win a job uh, because that's the way our ratio sets up right now. And, you know, our, our guys have done a good job going out and getting some guys. So, uh, but until I see them with my own eye in training camp and mini camp and they get battle tested with our group, um, you know, you'd like to think that uh, we're going to find that guy and have faith. Um, and that's what the training camp and mini camp is all about is finding that next guy. Um, you know, we have moved on from some guys, you know, obviously. Um, but, you know, again, you have faith in, in the process and faith in what we do. And we're looking to replace those guys with, with good candidates. 
Right on. Well, it's going to be a fun camp. Always interesting to see how it plays out. Jason, I know a busy day for you. Thanks for fitting us in here on 630 Chet. Look forward to talking more football with you throughout the spring, summer, and into the fall. Sounds good, Reed. Thanks a lot. That is Eskimos head coach Jason Moss. And again, get more on the coaching staff at 630Ched.com. One more hour of the show to go. Going to be a good one. We got a world champ coming up between 7 and 7.30. Edmonton's Caitlin Osmond, world figure skating champion. She'll take you through the experience of winning the championship a couple of weeks ago. Inside Sports on Chet. 6.30 Chet Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 6.30 Chet.